Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Today's guest is Bruce Hendrick, CEO and owner of RBB Systems in Wooster, Ohio. Bruce has been there 17 years, and more recently, he launched another business called Building Trust back in 2008. He's the author of a great book, which I've just finished, called On My Own, Recollections of an Unlikely CEO. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I'll tell you, I loved your book. I loved reading about your childhood and your background, what made you were today and what you are today. And we're going to go deep into that because that's really what the podcast is about. But just by way of background, you've been with RBB Systems for 17 years Tell us what what you do and uh, what the company does. Right. So I'm currently the uh, CEO and owner, and the company, RBB, does uh, one thing, and we do it, uh, I'm quite proud to say we do it really well, and that is that we do small batches of other people's electronics. So we build printed circuit boards and the devices they go into. We test them, and we ship them uh, on behalf of our customers. Uh, we also build control panels that consume and use the uh, circuit boards that we build. So our focus is on the small batch and niche of the marketplace, uh, and typically that's an underserved uh, area. So we've been uh, quite fortunate to uh, – we already had a lot of that kind of business, and now um, in the last several years we've optimized our business so that uh, we provide – small batch service for all kinds of different customers who really don't get well served by the larger contract manufacturers. Got it. And as I understand that uh, you were not always the CEO, you originally were working in the business and then transitioned to the CEO and ownership role. Can you take us through that for a minute? Sure. Right. So in 2000, I joined the organization and we were going through a, a rather dramatic uh, growth spurt. And uh, one of our customers uh, had gone from 5% of our business to 50, that's 50% of our business uh, uh, within an 18-month period. And so we grew dramatically. My role at the time was to manage the growth and, uh, you know, some of the chaotic uh, issues that can come along with that kind of growth. Uh, we went from about a oh, about an eight million dollar company to a sixteen million dollar company in a very short period of time, and unfortunately, the tech bubble burst, and uh, we did get through it, but it was uh, not without some significant pain. By that point, the uh, one of the founders of RBB was still running the business since its original founding in 1973. And he handed me the keys. Uh, it was a difficult time, but it was also a, kind of a heady time where uh, some big decisions needed to be made. And, you know, so far, so good. Eventually, in, by 2005, uh, he handed uh, – I, I should say he handed me, but uh, I was named CEO. And then uh, by 2007, we had uh, orchestrated a, a buyout, and that's when I became the owner of the business. So I've owned the business now for about 10 years. And then about a year after that transition, you also started another company called Building Trust. Tell us what that's about. Right. So uh, knowing myself <laughs> uh, and what motivates me as an individual, I realized that 
I needed to take some of what uh, uh, occupies my mind and my influence and and take it out to the larger community. Uh, one of the things that just drives me is making sure that people enjoy their work environments, that they have great relationships with those around them, um, both the people they work for and the work people they work with. And, you know, so uh, ever since I was a little boy, I've been um, facing issues regarding trust, whether that's an absence of trust or a... Uh, you know, the issues surrounding both isolation and uh, communication between folks. And so I have a kind of a built-in sensitivity around that. And throughout my professional career, uh, during the different roles that I played, uh, I found that being able to build relationships with others was kind of a kind of a very strong, um, just a skill set that I had. And so I I started to teach, Oh, back in the late 90s, I started to teach people within my own organizations um, some trust-building skills. And so by 2008, I realized that I, I, the company was doing well. It was strong. It was heading in a – RBB I'm talking about was, was strong and heading in a great strategic direction. And I just wanted to take some of that energy around building trust and turn it into a real uh, business so that, so that I could leverage what, what we've done internally – and uh, start spreading around the community. So that's what we did. We so I do uh, speaking engagements, and I work with teams, um, you know, executive teams or even other teams uh, within organizations that just have reached a little bit of a trust plateau. Uh, we can go into that more if you'd like. Yeah. Well, I think what's most interesting, Bruce, is really where all of this came from. And uh, you ended up writing this book, which went deep into your childhood and your relationships with family and friends. And uh, just like uh, being handed the keys to RBB, uh, what I found in reading the book, that there were a couple times that you were handed the keys in other leadership situations, not necessarily situations that you asked for. And, uh, and you know, we're, uh, we're not, although people say someone's a born leader, I don't think anybody is born as a leader. And so uh, they all come from somewhere in the past. And uh, in my podcast, I always like to dig deeper. And this book just had laid it all out there in a very genuine and authentic way. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about this um, going back uh, and why you wrote the book. And a lot of it had to do with um, your mom. So tell me, tell me about your mom. Sure. Uh, mom was a, a wonderful person who uh, passed away in 2003, and she uh, – how do I tell my mom in, in a five-minute summary? It's, it's kind of hard. But she was, she was a normal, mischievous Catholic girl uh, in Akron, Ohio, and uh, she got married and had – I'm the second child of three boys, and uh, when I was born, um, she got very ill. Uh, she what it turned out to be uh, encephalitis that she was uh, diagnosed with. But at the time, in 1961, they didn't know what they were dealing with, and so uh, during the uh, after my birth, uh, she fell into a coma, and uh, she lost. Uh, she was in a coma for two weeks, and, and after she came out of the coma, um, she, it turned out she had lost two years of her memory. 
and therefore she lost, uh, she had not known or forgotten uh, the, the whole idea of having a second child. She didn't know I existed. And so, um, but in addition to that gap in her memory, she also uh, had to uh, overcome some new f- uh, mental and physical challenges. She had uh, seizures, much like epileptic seizures. She was uh, heavily medicated because of that. And, uh, you know, she just went through some years where um, she had very strong mood swings and, you know, just some very difficult uh, situations, what I call the dark years, uh, you know, for probably 10 or 12 years there where uh, they didn't know how to control, uh, help her very well. This is back in the 60s and 70s where the org- uh, the community at large, you know, didn't really understand mental illness very well. So when she faced her depression and some other issues, uh, we were as a family, uh, pretty isolated and, and, uh, we just kind of gutted through it as a, as a family. So how did you guys do that? I mean, these are your formative years. Um, not that you really knew any different, but, uh, you, uh, dealing with your mom's illness, uh, how did your brothers and you react to this? How did your dad deal with it on on a daily basis? And how did you guys become so resilient with this? Well, I I wish I could say we did it with uh, more grace than we did. But, um, you know, when that's all you know, uh, you you just kind of uh, find your way. Um, Each each one of us boys kind of handled it differently. Um, My older brother, um, was a little bit more um, emotionally uh, shut down because of it. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of this drama that would happen on a daily basis at home, you know, would really bother him. And so he would shut down and he, you know, he moved into the basement early and, and that was his style of kind of like just avoiding the situations as much as possible. Uh, my younger brother was, uh, and still is, uh, more of a, a sports guy and, a, and a, an achiever, uh, where he is going to get by kind of on his good looks and style. Um, he tried to get, you know, try to lighten things up as much as he could. And um, that left one role, really, in the family, for the, at least along the three boys, and that was the achiever role. Uh, and that's kind of what I uh, stepped into. I, I felt that uh, the only way I was going to get any kind of positive attention or any attention much at all was to was to achieve things. So I tried to be the guy within the family who who you know did well in school and 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 achieve things you know outside on the schoolyard in the playground in the um, work settings. Uh, on the field as much as I could. Um, I tried to be that achiever. It was quite an empty, frankly, an empty feeling because it it never really lasted long. Um, uh, Every achievement just kind of uh, propelled me to have to find an even higher achievement. And I kind of felt like a hamster on a wheel and uh, there wasn't much joy in it, but there was, so it was kind of exhausting uh, along the way, but uh, it was not without fun too. So um, that's how the three of us handled it. I guess the uh, when you know looking back on it, my father was the you know I kind of look at my father as the as the uh, keel on the whole th- on the whole ship. 
you know, he his his patience with mom and and his love for us as as his children was amazing and continues to be amazing. Um, you know, he he actually perfected what I call it. You know, what we know now as enabling. Uh, he, he perfected that even before we knew that <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be, that's not really the best uh, approach, but he took care of mom, made sure that we respected her all the time and just worked hard and fixed us dinner and did the laundry and just, you know, he was amazing. I, I often thought of him as St. Ralph, you know, I don't know how, I really don't know how he did it. And if I asked him today, he'd say, I don't know how I did it either. Uh, but it was uh, it was a long road for sure. Yeah, uh, incredible what you've done, and just hearing about what your your dad has done reminded me of my own dad. And uh, gosh, we have so many things that are similar. And I'm not so sure that you wouldn't have been the achiever, regardless of the struggles that your mom went through. And I'm a middle child as well of, of three boys. And and uh, my older brother was kind of the rebel in the family. The younger one just was going with the flow. And I, I was that guy that, that was probably looked at as the achiever and just felt that. Um, so we all, as we know now with our own kids, we all just grow up uh, different. And, uh, and I think you would have achieved, uh, similarly had your mom not even gone through those things. And as, as you talk about your dad, um, it's funny now my, my dad's going to be 90, my mom's 88. And, uh, you know, I had a, what I consider to be a great childhood and pretty normal childhood. But now for the first time over the last couple of years, my mom's got memory issues and, uh, and I kind of relate to what your dad went through because, uh, he now has become that ter- caretaker for her. And, sure. uh, you know, it's just this undying, um, loyalty and just, uh, gets up every day and does whatever needs to be done and and uh is a great testament just to the power of family overall so um when i read about um all of your experiences there were many of them that i related to but you were you were pretty uh uh, you would take some risk out there and you know rough it up a little with with folks and some of it might have had to do with Catholic school or your you know the base baseball or even um, when you were scouting uh, when you were first in, in Cub Scouts and, and Boy Scouts but uh, how did some of those early childhood memories form your thinking later in life oh boy Um for some reason, I don't know whether that was self-propelled or whether it was placed upon me, but um, I, I found myself in uh, leadership positions uh, even when I wasn't asked to be in those roles, um, or no, and frankly, had no no uh, business being in those roles. But uh, others around me, I don't know, maybe saw something in me that said, you know, let's give this guy a chance to... Um, to be in charge or at least, um, you know, influence where we're headed as a team. So in, 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 uh, on the ball field, I, I had a, had a, had a role where, uh, as a pitcher and as a first baseman, I kind of helped uh, kind of lead the, what happened on the, sh- on the, on the field and, and, uh, really young as a, as a Cub Scout and then eventually as a Boy Scout, uh, the, I remember very fondly the the first night I was a Boy Scout. There was happened to be elections that night, and and I was named an assistant patrol leader. And I 
I didn't really want the job, but uh, somebody had to step up to to take it, and so I I kind of meekly did so. And then I found out that the the guy who was elected patrol leader uh, never showed up again, and mm-hmm. so all of a sudden I'd become the patrol leader of a, of a group of kids, and you know I had no business being in charge, but. Uh, nevertheless, I was in charge. And so I had to find ways to kind of dig deep and, and learn, learn what's supposed to happen and make sure that our patrol was, you know, doing what needed to be done. And we could eat on campouts and had fires and did all the things that we had to do. So, you know, uh, I remember another time not long after that where I was working very simply uh, flipping burgers at Burger King. Well, you don't flip burgers at Burger King because it's a grill. But, uh, you know, we, we uh, I was working just as a, as a young kid and uh, making sandwiches. And uh, I was uh, – there was a night shift production manager's role that needed to be filled. And they all looked around and said, you know what, Bruce, how about you take that role? And again, I wasn't one to question authority, so I just kind of said, sure. And uh, I had to really learn a lot about business and and schedules and and how to get people to cooperate. These were older people now, so and there was money involved now. So, you know, it, it, it just felt like I was being, I don't know if I was saying the world was or the universe was trying to uh, guide me along to be some type of a businessman, but uh, you know, that's what I think about in hindsight. But at the time it was just like, you know, okay, this is the, this is the car. These are the cards I've been dealt. Let me do what I can to, to, to work. And even from the beginning, uh, ever since I was in the scouts and then into Burger King and other, uh, roles along the way, I felt compelled to help people, you know, be happy at work. Uh, not, I was never motivated to get things done at the expense of those doing the work. It just never felt right uh, when I witnessed or experienced others managing me in a way that uh, left me feeling like I was just uh, part of a machine. I wanted to, I wanted to help people feel good about things, and and you know, early on that was really helpful because the feedback I got was that even though I didn't necessarily know everything about the business that I was running or the, or the organization, people felt, um, you know, valued. And, you know, that was probably the thing about my leadership style that I, that I've been trying to hone and grow and research and, and learn more specific skills around so that I could teach others perhaps down the road. I I remember reading about the, your experience at Burger King, and uh, when you were handed this uh, role, your manager said to you, "You know, do you want to take this this night supervision role?" And uh, and yet, uh, you really jumped right into it and tried to make sure that you did a great job at the job you were given. Um, that again reminded me a little bit of your dad and your dad and what he had to deal with when your mom got sick. Um, is just you know, put your head down. Uh, you were given responsibility wherever that came from and just do great work. And then uh, just like your your dad seemed to always want to make sure that uh, you guys were happy and that mom was okay, uh, it's the same attitude that you seem to have in understanding the importance of relationships in the workplace and trying to go beyond the job to make sure that people were happy. But it just seems really pretty clear where all that came from. 
Well, Paul, there, I, I find that to be, I think there's no higher praise that I could possibly receive than to be compared with my father. So uh, I, I appreciate that more than you, more than you realize, you know, when in, in, in periods of time when my mom was, was lucid and, um, uh, you know, happy, she would often say to me, you know, be like your father, just, mm. just, if, you know, if you're not sure <laughs> what to do, do what your dad would do. And I've always held him up as a role model. I, I've, uh, you know, he gets embarrassed when I say that. And, uh, but it's the truth. He's, he's been a rock for sure. Yeah. My dad's my hero as well. So, yeah. so, um, you end up uh, going through school. You uh, you get you go to Ohio State or the Ohio State yes. University, right? Uh, right? And end up, I think, following a little bit in your dad's footsteps, uh, majoring in engineering, um, and get some really great opportunities there um, in a program that a special program that they had to kind of hone your skill. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to there, Paul. I, I, are you talking about the teaching side? Uh, no, the the program that you had in school that allowed you to kind of work on the the uh, aircraft uh, oh, yes. stuff and yeah. Oh, sure. Well, as a as an engineering student, I was part of the um, what they call a co-op program. Um, most of them these days are called internships, but uh, a cooperative education program, and so I was uh, uh, had the good fortune of being able to, to work for the Federal Aviation Administration in, in uh, Pomona, New Jersey. And uh, so I was, a, at the time, I started in college as a, a civil engineer because, I, because that's what my father was, a civil engineer. And I really had never kind of given myself permission to, to do anything else other than that. And so when I got to college, I'd taken a few strengths and materials courses and things that civil engineers learn, and I was bored out of my mind. But I had to take a, a, a Fortness dates me now, a Fortran programming class, and uh, I just love the computer side of things. So I switched majors in college to go after uh, computer engineering, software development, that sort of thing. And this was early. This was, you know, 79, 80. Uh, at, at, so... Uh, when I, there was a requirement at Ohio State where you had to do a co-op if you were an engineer, and so ended I, anyway. I ended up at, uh, like I said, the FAA, and my task was to write software that tested uh, airborne collision avoidance systems so that aircraft wouldn't, you know, uh, run into each other in heavy airport, heavy busy airport uh, traffic situations. So. Um, it was a wonderful. It was a wonderful learning experience, and uh, you know, I get, they gave me some media, the, some media work to do. Um, as it turns out, I was able to prove, uh, along with help from other folks, um, we were able to prove that the system that was being designed for aircraft was not capable, and that uh, it needed to be scrapped, frankly, and, and that we needed to uh, come up with a newer, a newer system. So. Uh, to handle the traffic that would have been coming in the next in the next many years, so um, you know that was uh, it was it was a wonderful wonderful thing for me. Yeah, great accomplishment very early on. Well, how do you kind of make this transition and continue your own 
leadership learnings and leadership journey. Uh, I think you mentioned many jobs in between college and when you became uh, CEO and owner of RBB. So what what other jobs along the way do you think were impactful in your uh, learning as a leader? So while I was still in college, I had a chance to um, teach mathematics to uh, high school kids or, 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 or freshmen um, in college kids, college freshmen. <laughs> and they, uh, it's, it's math they should have learned in high school, but they, they didn't or couldn't. And so my role was to be a teaching assistant um, uh, with the professor. And again, I had to figure out how to uh, do that. I'd never really had any training for that. And, and in hindsight, I think they probably shouldn't have had an undergraduate been a teaching assistant, but uh, was, it was a different time. And so uh, that was a remarkable uh, growing experience for myself to learn how to stand up in front of a group and lead a discussion and help people overcome their uh, challenges. And uh, so so I was starting to build some real confidence in my ability to have influence. Not, I didn't necessarily, I, I wasn't really comfortable with authority. If if you follow, if mm-hmm. if I'm making sense about the difference between authority and influence, I've always kind of been more comfortable influencing people than using rank or authority to get people to do something. So I found teaching to be rather rewarding in that regard. Um, and so between between that and my you know engineering skills, some software development skills, I ended up in a job for working for a large multinational called Avery Dennison, and worked there for um, oh about fourteen years after college, and I've had a number of roles there, uh, doing a variety of things, and and after. Several years doing the technology stuff, it just I just kept getting more interested in the leadership side of things. I was much more interested in getting results through people than I was through technology, and so I ended up being a uh, business unit manager uh, where we develop things like pressure sensitive postage stamps, um, which everybody takes for granted today. But you know that that started back in the late '80s and, and early '90s. Um, uh, with uh, Avery Dennison, and and uh, I also had a chance to work on baggage tags and, and all kinds of fun things like, like that. So <laughs> by the time I left my I left Avery, I had really uh, learned how to kind of pull together a team and and really accomplish a variety of different things. You know, when I hear you talk about the kinds of things that you worked on, you know, pressure sensitive labels or small batch electronics. Uh, you know, some would say, you know, nothing particularly sexy about that. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and yet we can say that about most of the, of our businesses. You could say that about the business I ran as well. Um, and yet I'm fascinated by your, uh, placement of the importance of the people side of the business. So where, where did that, uh, really manifest itself in the kinds of businesses that you became involved in? Oh, where did the, um, You know, that's a great question. I, it, it, you know, the longer I spent in business, the more I realized that that my my legacy in terms of impact in the world 
was going to be in, a, in, in helping people have positive relationships. Uh, and and it, gets, it gets all the way back to my childhood. Uh, it's just that it's more of an integration of, of integrating my business knowledge, my influence, and this whole idea of having trusting relationships. See, when I was growing up, trust was absent. Uh, I couldn't really trust mom. I, 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 uh, my brothers, the three of us were really kind of operating alone. And so as I went through then my career and my, my college years and early, early career years, it took me, I was really in a shell. I was rather introverted. Um, I wasn't this gregarious type of a leader. I was quietly doing things, um, often overworked myself because I didn't want to lean on others too hard. And it uh, eventually I got to the point where I was able to realize that I was holding others back by doing more for them than they than they could do for themselves. And so the it really culminated one time uh, when I got a, a performance review by our plant manager who said to me, Bruce, we're paying you for results, not for work. And it wasn't a very stellar performance review. And I and I, you know, obviously was upset about that that. But as I gave it more thought, I thought, well, what a gift I've just been given. He's absolutely right. And I need to change my my approach. And so from that point on, that was a pivotal moment. From that point on, I realized it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's all about what the team's supposed to get done, what the, what the mission of the organization is, whether that's building pressure-sensitive adhesives or, or building electronic products or uh, some of my volunteer work as well. It's all about the mission of what we do. And, and so that frees me from being the center of the universe. And then I become the sheepdog. I become the coach. I become the cheerleader. And, and I find that when people that work with me uh, thrive, I get to have so much more fun, and the obviously the organization does much better. So yeah, and a couple of things that you said that really resonate. I think uh, one just I think early on you were already thinking about legacy and and how are you going to be thought about by others, and realizing that it is all about the relationships and nothing about the product or, or the service that you offer. Uh, that it's right. about influence, not authority, uh, and that's that's really what. Uh, leadership uh, is about uh, in in the more current years where you have uh, once you became CEO of RBB and even before uh, starting building trust um, there had to be some humbling experiences you had uh, anything stand out for you in that regard well sure um, I, I would say this uh, I had I had taken RBB uh, and obviously had a tremendous amount of help and and when I say I I don't mean that I personally I just mean I collectively as a leader I had taken the I had taken the business from a uh, a, uh, a hole that we had uh, dug dug for ourselves from the when the when the tech bubble burst uh, we were hemorrhaging money and we were not doing well as a business and we had turned that thing around. We had focused. We had we had come out of a strategic no man's land. Uh, we knew that w- what we were about. We had been optimized around small batches. We had good momentum. We had a great brand, etc. And we were growing, but it wasn't growing anywhere near what I thought the potential of the business was. And I was frustrated that it felt like we had laid all this track, but the engine or the train wasn't running as well as it should be. And I had to look 
in the mirror and realize, you know, I'm probably not the leader who this business needs to take us to reach our full potential. And, you know, I had the, you know, I have friends and I have faith, uh, strong faith and I have uh, a great family. And, and so I realized that, you know, in my, in my, if I'm honest with myself, what I got to do is do what I've been preaching, which is to do what's best for the team and not make it about me. And so I realized that it was time to hire another leader and for me to step back and start to hand that company over to someone else to lead. Uh, that was a difficult uh, time in my life, Paul, but I have to tell you that it was the right decision and it was the best decision for both me and the new leader and the new organization because that transition is now underway. And the comp- last year in 2016 was the, the, the highest performing year we've ever had as a business. And uh, I can say it's because I got out of the way. Uh, and that took a lot of, <laughs> in hindsight, it took a lot of humility. At, that, at the time, it didn't feel like humility. It just kind of felt like uh, I, I needed to make this gutsy move. But in, in hindsight, I think it did take a, a little humility for me to come to that realization. Well, I think it took a lot of humility and a lot of courage to do that because not many leaders would really – make that move. Uh, their pride would stand in the way. They feel like they can do it. And and the fact is, all of us only have a certain amount of capability to grow our businesses. And at some point, uh, I realized in my own career that I had no more functional expertise to, uh, to run the business. Uh, and the value is really the people around. And as you continue to bring in great talent, uh, then you start to feel good about what they can do and what their potential is and and then in some ways what skills you lack but to be able to take that step and in your case I think it was Jim who you you brought into that leadership role and like other people have handed you the keys from uh from the Boy Scouts to to Burger King uh to RBB for you to be able to hand the keys over to Jim uh, even though maybe you did it at a time where you felt a lot of pressure, looking back, you've got to feel really good about that. I do. I, I, I feel great about it. Uh, it. It feels like it was the right decision at the right time with the right guy, and the organization has embraced him really well. Uh, you know, I've having gone through that transition um, not all that long ago, you know, Myself, uh, with you know, say the last ten to uh, fifteen years prior, uh, it was still fresh in my mind. Some of the lessons I learned coming up and taking over for the founder, um, I wanted to do the transition a little bit more uh, consciously, and uh, I found that having my building trust business was a tremendous advantage for me to be able to let go. Because you know, Paul, what I say this, and I've said this in other settings where having some, if you're walking towards something as opposed to walking away from something, it goes so much better. So I was not only handing over the keys of RBB to, to Jim, Jim Tennant, but to, but I was walking towards this other opportunity to influence the wider world through, through building trust and, and, and helping leaders uh, maximize their teams. So uh, it wasn't so hard. It wasn't like prying prying the keys out of my fingers because, and I didn't have anything else to 
to go to. Uh, I find that walking towards something gives life, and and in the absence of that, it, it becomes so much harder to let go. That's a, a great message, Bruce, and people really need to understand the, the difference between walking away and walking towards something. And uh, again, thinking back to when I was running my business for all those years and uh, came upon that decision uh, to potentially sell the business, and and I knew that I wasn't going to be one that could just do nothing. And yet, years before, I had already maybe unconsciously started to plant the seed by starting to write books and articles and do speaking and starting another couple small companies. And as you talked about building trust, it was almost like that is really your purpose. You're, you're, you're kind of a born teacher and that the ability for you to uh, take whatever you could out of and give to uh, the businesses you've been in and RBB, it seems to me that what ultimately your legacy will be is your ability to teach others about how to build trusted relationships in the workplace uh, more more than anything else that you've done. And I, I got to believe that'll be very gratifying for you. It is, you know, and it's funny because of all the of all the childhood struggles to, to be thought of as someone who might be able to really enhance other people's trusting relationships. You know, it's really a tribute back to mom. It all comes back to mom, doesn't it? And yeah. Uh, uh, for, for, it's kind of a my thank you uh, and my giving back t- uh, to the world because uh, you know if, if there's oftentimes it's the person who who struggles the most with an issue uh, of letting go and trusting other people that uh, can often have the most to say then and and to really uh, relate to people who let's say working next to somebody and you you, you tell yourself. Uh, we got to work together, so I'm not going to deal with this icky thing. And yet, day after day, the stress builds. Uh, I know what that stress feels like. Um, I, I grew up with that stress, and uh, so I can, uh, you know, I can help cut through some of that. And and there's no greater joy for me to to see organizations than cut get past some of these beach balls that we hold down under the water and find ways to release them and, and just kind of unleash the talent and energy that within an organization. So yeah, I love that. I love being able to do that at RBB. Uh, and I've been, uh, I'm looking forward to the years ahead where I can help, you know, other organizations do that. So, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, uh, do the kind of work that you do in terms of coaching and training other organizations, but I, I work a lot with individuals in companies uh, around their relationships with others in the company, and and I'd just be interested in your take on this. It just seems to me that that we work so much in isolation generally, uh, and we avoid tough conversations. We avoid conversations altogether. I don't know how many times I've talked to someone about the relationship that they have with someone else in the company and challenged them with whether they've just approached them to have a basic conversation, and they haven't. Uh, do you do you find the same thing? And how, what's your method of getting people to open up uh, in the workplace? Well, it's, a, not an, it's not a question that can be answered in five minutes. I can tell you that uh, trust is earned and that, but also it takes, it takes uh, a willingness to extend trust to somebody else. So I think what we do is we, we practice on people that we know 
that we do have a trusting relationship with on what I say going to the icky place. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way of, 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 of approaching that is, is dealing with or talking about vulnerability, which is, which is hot uh, topic right now. Uh, but that, that idea that if we really do value the business and we value ourselves highly, this tension, this beach ball that I'm holding down between the two of us is not helping accomplish peace and, and harmony, uh, nor is it helping to accomplish the mission of the organization. So we have to kind of face that and own that. And once I own it, then I can I can take a step forward. Uh, and, and there are some specific skills I teach uh, uh, in my two-day workshop on trust building that can really help break down the barrier. And part of it is that we're not responsible for somebody else's reaction to what we say, but we are responsible for how constructive what we say, you know, how it's phrased, how, uh, what we're trying to get out of the conversation. Are we trying to build a relationship or are we just trying to rip a Band-Aid off? Uh, that whole approach to how we how we structure what we want to say is, is really important. Uh, even if we, there's no magic words and it doesn't really matter what your education level is or your background, it's a question of what's in your heart when you go to this other person and say, hey, look, this has been bothering me. I just can we take can we take a few minutes and talk about something so that we can just clear the air and let's get to a better place together. And that takes a little bit of guts for sure, but it, but the outcomes are well worth it. You just need a little training and practice on how to how to get through that. So yeah, yeah, I think that's that's all it is uh, uh, is a little training, a little practice, just like everything else we practice. And right. I always say a good conversation solves just about everything. But yep. getting to that point and knowing how to do it is definitely a skill that uh, I know you're you're great at teaching. So as I kind of finish up here, uh, there are a couple of final questions for you. One now, as you look back on your own experience, what would you say is the most important quality in a leader, Bruce? So, you know, I would have to say it's it, two, two things. One, you got to you got to produce results. If if you're not producing results, you know, a leader who doesn't get results will get replaced. I mean, that's just reality in the world we live in. So, we can't take your mind you can't take your eye off the ball. That's just one. And two, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about them. It's always about them. It's not about you. So you've got to be, as a good leader, you're always figuring out what's best for the team. So you get those two things together, and you're, and you're going to be an effective leader. Mm. Well said. All right. So if someone's just starting out in their career, and uh, you were there a long time ago like me, and, um, and someone said, I want to do what you do one day, Bruce, what, what advice would you offer them? Well, as you said somewhere along the way here, um, I am I am not I am not risk averse. So I realize that there are people all along that that risk continuum, and so and I recognize that and I and I value that. So I would say this though, that if you know what needs to be done, and if fear is the only reason you're not doing it then you should tell yourself, that's just not good enough. But fear is not enough of a reason to hold you back from doing what needs to be done. Now, there may be other reasons, like it's not the right financial business decision or or other things, but you've done all the analysis, you've talked to other smart people, 
And at the end of the day, you right there and fear is holding you back. Then you just got to you got to overcome that because you can you can get through that. The other thought I had was. As far as advice was, you know, no matter how smart you think you are or how capable, uh, you know, just knock yourself down a peg. Realize that you're just playing a role. I'm just still Bruce, the same Bruce that I was when I when I was growing up. I just happen to have a role to fill, which is CEO. But that all along the way, I had different roles to play, and so did you. So we know that the smart thing to do is to surround ourselves with really smart people who are going to level with us. That's a great message, and and something else. And I, you know, people can't uh, see this without maybe going to your website. But I've gotten to know you over the the last number of months uh, through the Small Giants community, and uh, both live and and over video calls. And every time uh, I see you, you're in a unique hat of some type. And then you told me recently that you're buying yourself a bright orange convertible. So there's something about being comfortable in your own skin that's a, a message there too. It seems to me. Sure, yeah, <laughs> and and I think you're right. I don't know how to I don't know how to say that uh, or I don't know how to embellish that. But I think what 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 it you know off the top of my head, I thought I'd maybe say that the more you trust others, this is going to sound a little strange, but the more you trust others, the more you realize you can trust yourself. And so the more you trust yourself, you realize you don't have to put on an act so you can be yourself. And in my, in my case, I love hats. And so that's what I, you know, almost become my, my branding now. I, I can't even show up in a, anywhere without a hat now. They know me as the hat guy. <laughs> uh, what's the best website, Bruce, for people who want to uh, learn about your teachings? So... Uh, very simple. Just come to www.brucehendrick.com. That's the Building Trust website. And, uh, of course, rbbsystems.com is for your small batch needs if you have those small batch electronic needs. So Wonderful. All right. Well, I got a couple quick hit questions, kind of the association game. I want you to just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, all right? And then Far we'll away. wrap up. All right. Name a famous leader you look up to. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. All right. Name a great book that influenced your leadership style. Uh, Crucial Conversations by oh, that. the folks at Vital Smarts. Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, what is your all-time favorite movie? Oh, God, that's so hard. Uh, but I would pick Rain Over Me. That's a book with, or a movie with Don Cheadle and Adam Sandler. Really? I haven't heard of that movie. Uh, I- Adam, Adam Sandler... Uh, loses his family in 9-11. It's a, it's a drama. It's not a comedy. And it's so well It's so well done. Rain Over Me is called. All right. I'm going to check it out. Yep. All right. Now you're, uh, you're stranded on an island. You get to take one thing with you. What would it be? Oh, it would have to be some, some way to write books and stories. I, I, I would go crazy if I couldn't write. That's a great one. All right. And then lastly, um, although you'll get a lot of this by reading your book, uh, what is something about you that most people don't know? So I, I figured I better say something that isn't in the book, and that is that I that I really enjoy to juggle. I, I, I'm not very good at it yet, but uh, I'm a juggler. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, we'll have to see that sometime. I can do, you know, three tennis balls, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, I learned that long ago. I've never taken my juggling career any further than that. Me neither. Um, 
Well, Bruce, uh, it's been great to have you on. Just such a genuine, authentic leader. We all have so much to learn from you. And I think the the thing that people should uh, uh, understand, I think, with your story is that we all have a story. We're all a function of our childhood that we don't necessarily know what is going to come to us. But you're a great example of someone who's taken what's come at you both in your family and in life and made the most out of it to impact many, many other people. So thank you so much for joining me. uh, And uh, thank all of you for listening. Thank you for joining on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.